Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning, and good to have many of you joining us from your homes this morning as well. Luke chapter 23 this morning. Luke's gospel, chapter 23. We only have a couple more Sundays in the gospel of Luke. And we've entitled this series in the gospel of Luke, The Story of Jesus. But I want to make a point before the message this morning. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the story of Jesus is your story too. You are so intertwined and linked with Jesus through salvation that who he is determines who you are. What he is determines what we are. You cannot separate the two of you. So today, as we dive into Luke chapter 23, I'm hoping that what we learn from the story of Jesus here will not only remind us or reveal to us things about Jesus, but will also remind us how the story of Jesus does so powerfully affect us and our lives and, and how we can live our lives so differently because of Jesus. It's been great to sing all these worship songs this morning all about Jesus. And we're not done yet, too. We're going to sing more about Jesus this morning. As we lead in to this passage this morning, I actually want to just touch on the end of chapter 22. Jesus has asked a couple questions here at this point. First of all, in verse 70 of 22, he's asked, are you the son of God? And his answer is literally, yes, I am. Many people wonder, did Jesus ever definitively claim to be the son of God? Yes, he did. In fact, that's why the religious leaders of Israel claimed that he was blaspheming, because he claimed to be God. And it was the reason why then they went to the Roman authorities to have him crucified. The, the leadership of Israel needed the Roman government's support here. They could not put anyone to death on their own, even if they deemed that they were deserving. And then in chapter 23, verse 3, you have Pilate, sort of the highest representative of the Roman Empire, okay? who asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And literally Jesus says, yes, it is as you say, I am. Now, not the kind of king that you're thinking I am, Pilate, because this king is about ready to lay down his life for others. So with that context, I want us to see three things about Jesus today. I want us to examine the innocence of Jesus. It's something that Luke really wants us to get. He also wants us to see the rejection of Jesus, and then finally the substitution of Jesus. 
See, one of the prominent points that Luke wants to make here at the end of his gospel is that in no way did Jesus die on a cross because he deserved to, because he was guilty of some crime. In fact, notice with me, three times, and three is a very significant number, isn't it, at this point in the life of Jesus. We, we saw where Peter denied him three times. We see in a few days where Jesus is going to spend three days in the tomb. But here we have Pilate. Again, let's not forget the highest-ranking Roman official. So he was a representative of the Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire, through Pilate, is basically saying, this man is innocent. Notice, first of all, with me at the end of verse 4. Pilate says, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. Then if you go over to the end of verse 14, when I examined him before you, I did not find this man guilty of anything you accused him of doing. And finally, in verse 22, what wrong has he done? I have found him guilty of no crime deserving death. In fact, back over in verse 15, he says, oh, and by the way, neither did Herod. He has done nothing deserving of death. Three times. Pilate basically is declaring the innocence of Jesus. No one ever deserved suffering less and received it more than Jesus. In fact, as all of these individuals stand before God, everyone else is actually guilty but Jesus. Pilate's guilty. Herod's guilty, the religious leaders of Israel are guilty, all the people who are going to cry crucify him are guilty, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Only Jesus Christ is the innocent one, the spotless one, the one without blemish, and yet he's going to be the one nailed to a cross. Is there injustice going on here? Absolutely. Has Jesus become a, a political pawn in the hands of the Roman authorities as well as the Jewish authorities? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what does this tell us? This tells us that if anyone ever suffered injustice, if anyone ever was suffering and did not deserve to suffer, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How then does that affect us? Well, first of all, hopefully we have again an even greater admiration, adoration, and appreciation of Jesus because he went to that cross and suffered as he did, and we're going to talk more about that next week when we actually look at the crucifixion. And he did it not because he deserved it. Now listen then 
with that in mind, to these verses out of the New Testament directed to us, those who have chosen to follow him, okay? First is Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Philippians 1, 29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but don't miss this last phrase, but also to suffer for him. I think sometimes as Christians, and maybe even especially as young Christians, this is part of why it's so important to be discipled. And when you become a Christian, to be in a church like ours where you can grow and learn the Word of God, because I think there are many Christians that might even spend a long time of their life thinking that, well, now that I have Jesus Christ, everything's going to go right and well for me, and I'm never going to have to suffer. No. In fact, if you know the Word of God, we are actually granted the privilege and the opportunity not only to believe in him, but as Paul says to the Philippians, but to suffer. It should be expected. It should be expected. And then these verses out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. 1 Peter 2, 20 and 21. Peter writes, for what credit is it if when you sin, you suffer for it? But if you do good and suffer and so endure, this finds favor with God. For to this you were called since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. What am I saying? I'm saying a couple things. One we should understand that if we are to follow Jesus Christ as a believer, we will suffer unjustly at times, undeservedly, because he did. And the other thing I am saying, and, and I want us to make sure that we grasp today, is that means that in the times of my life, in the moments of my life, in the seasons of my life, where I am suffering and I don't deserve it, there is no one who understands that more than our Jesus. And we can't say, oh, Jesus, I don't deserve what I'm going through. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who went through suffering and did not deserve it. Again, no one ever deserved suffering less and who suffered as much as Jesus did. So when we go through things in our life and our first response and reaction is, well, I don't deserve what I'm going through, that may actually be the case. But that's part of us being willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus. But in those moments where we are suffering undeservedly, where we are suffering and, and we haven't done anything to warrant it, 
Jesus will be with us. And Jesus understands what we're going through more than anybody ever will. And Jesus will give us a, a special peace and grace from him as we go through those times of suffering. None of us, like Jesus, can claim we're totally innocent. None of us can claim we're perfect and sinless. And yet Jesus could. And he went through the most horrible suffering and horrible death that any human being could ever endure. So in a sense, we've got to change our perspective sometimes a little bit when it comes to our own suffering. And we've got to change our mindset. We've got to, in a sense, get our heads screwed on right. Because sometimes we're not looking at the circumstances of our life through the lens of God and through his word. And sometimes we get very upset and even maybe disenchanted and, and disoriented when it comes with our God and disillusioned to him and to his plan and purposes for our life when we go through times of suffering, especially unjust suffering. But as Peter said, and as Paul said, this is part of God's plan for us. And just as we say, oh, Jesus, I want your salvation, then we also need to be willing to embrace the cross as well because that's part of being a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. So here we see the innocence of Jesus. And he, more than anyone else, again, identifies with us when we suffer innocently or suffer unjustly. He knows, which is why he is called our faithful, sympathetic, and empathetic high priest. No one gets that more than Jesus does. And yet he was willing to go through all that innocently because he loves you and me that much. Second, I want us to see the rejection of Jesus. In verse 16 of chapter 23, Pilate's trying to appease the crowd here. He's declared him innocent, right? But he understands the crowd is getting lathered up, as we say. And so he says, I'll, I'll have Jesus flogged, and then I'll release him. Listen, Roman flogging was a terrible thing. As I've told you before, they used this instrument called a, a flagrum that would literally have these strips of, of leather. And on the end of the strips of leather would be tied, you know, sharp bone and glass and all these things that literally would go into a person's back and rip chunks of their back out to where even their, their bones and, and, and organs in their back would be exposed. Many went into shock even before they went to the cross. In fact, this is one of the reasons why, as we're going to see next week, someone even had to carry Jesus' cross the rest of the way because he had been so weakened physically and, and was starting to go into shock even before he got to the cross. 
So Pilate's thinking, this will be enough. I've already declared him innocent. If, if I just say, we're going to put him through terrible suffering, even though he doesn't deserve it, that will be enough. But notice verse 17. They all shouted out together, verse 18, like, take this man away. Release Barabbas for us. The man who was thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder. What is happening here is many of the people of Israel who at one time supported Jesus now all of a sudden have turned against him. Some of the same people that just a week earlier were saying on the Palm Sunday when they were laying down their palms in front of him as he rode into Jerusalem, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, now are saying, release Barabbas to us and take him away. Reminds me of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was rejected. Notice Pilate addressed them in verse 20 once again and says he wants to release Jesus, but they kept on shouting, crucify, crucify him. Literally, nail him to a cross. You ever experienced rejection in your life? Absolutely. If you've, if you've been alive for any length of time, you've experienced rejection. You've experienced people turning on you and turning their back on you and being fickle, you know, loving you one minute and not the next, caring about you one minute and not the next. Here's Jesus. Perfect, sinless without spot and without blemish. And here he is hearing in his ears the one who created all these people. He's hearing in his own human ears that they not only want him out of the way, they want him killed. They, they want him murdered. They want him literally to suffer and die one of the most horrible deaths that human beings have ever devised. Nail him to a cross. I'm sure all of us in this room have experienced some level or form of rejection, but I very much doubt that any of us in this room or any of you who are watching this morning have ever experienced it to this level where you knew someone disliked you, hated you, resented you so bad that literally they told you to your face, I want you to die. But that's exactly what's happening here with Jesus. In fact, you'll notice in verse 22, again, the third time Pilate declares his innocence and therefore says, I will flog him and release him. They were insistent. Nothing but death was going to satisfy these people at this point. 
And so the Bible tells us, Luke records for us, they were demanding with loud shouts that he be crucified, and their shouts, or literally in the Greek, their loudness prevailed. Boy, does that speak to us today, doesn't it? Isn't that still the way it is most of the time in our world? Loudness prevails. Those who talk louder, scream louder, shout louder about anything, they eventually get their way and get what they want. And yet God, please hear me, folks, because we're God's people. God is not like that. God never screams. God never shouts. God never used loudness in order to prevail. That's the world's way. In fact, you see something just the opposite of how God works in the story of Elijah that most of us know here this morning. Elijah had just gone through an intense time of ministry, needed some physical rest, needed to be encouraged. He's out there on a mountain alone with God. And the word of God tells us this. A windstorm came. But God wasn't in the windstorm. Then an earthquake came. But God wasn't in the earthquake. Then a fire came. But God wasn't in the fire. And then the Bible says this. But then a soft whisper or as some Bible translations write, a still, small voice. That's how God speaks. Even here this morning, God's not shouting at anyone. God's not screaming at anyone. But you know what God's Spirit's doing? In each of us, that still, small voice is speaking to each of us. The world's way is loudness. And we as Christians need to make sure that we are very careful not to use the world's ways of doing things to somehow get our way, even if we think it's the right way. The rejection of Jesus. Why is it important that we not only examine the innocence of Jesus, but the rejection of Jesus? For the same reasons. If you're going through rejection in your life right now, or you've been through rejection, or let's just say it, at some point will be rejected again, then no one understands that more than Jesus does. No one understands what it's like to have everyone turn against them. In fact, Jesus experienced it in a way, again, I don't think you and I ever will, because he literally stood there alone and even hung there on the cross alone. In fact, you see this here. Look at verse 49 of Luke 23. All those who knew Jesus stood at a distance. 
No one was going to look too supportive of Jesus at this point, even his most faithful followers. Why? Because they're all standing there going, look at what they've done to our leader. If I look like I'm supporting him a little bit too much, I may be the next one hanging up there. We're going back here. And let's not forget, who else stood at a distance? Who else denied him? Peter, one of his own disciples. Who betrayed him? One of his own disciples, Judas. Even his own disciples that he had spent the last three years pouring himself into wanted nothing to do with him at this point. So when you and I go through rejection in our life, and we will, here's what we know. No one was ever rejected in a greater way and more fully than my Lord Jesus. And if anyone understands and can sympathize and empathize with what I'm going through right now, it's my Jesus. And he's going to be there for me. Because unlike him, Jesus has promised his followers that I will never leave you or forsake you. You will always have me standing there with you. You will never be alone even if you feel you're all alone. Even if you are there all by yourself and the whole world has turned against you, every last human being on earth, I, Jesus Christ, will stand there with you. So don't let the devil or even your own thoughts in your own head ever put you in a position where you think you're all by yourself and you're all alone. We are never alone as God's people. In fact, Paul himself testified to this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, recounting his hearing, he said, at this time, I had nobody stand with me. But he goes on to say, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I love that. I want you to know today that even if you feel you're all alone right now in your life, the Lord is standing with you and he is strengthening you. Allow him to do that. He is right beside of you, always, to help you. He will empower you and make you stronger if you turn to him. So we see here the innocence of Jesus and the rejection of Jesus. Let's go back to one more point in the passage, the substitution of Jesus. At the end of verse 23... The loudness prevails, so Pilate decides that their demand should be granted. Politicians haven't changed much, have they? Here's a man that knows in his heart that the man who's standing before him, Jesus, that he's about ready to turn over to be crucified is absolutely innocent, yet he doesn't have the backbone to stand up for what's right and to do what's right, he's getting too much pressure from the people. And so he caves. 
But then notice this, verse 25. He releases Barabbas, the man they asked for, who had been thrown into prison justly for insurrection and murder, but he handed Jesus over to their will. Barabbas' release and Jesus' death make up this portrait, if you will, of the exchange that God engages in to save sinners. The sacrifice of Jesus at the altar of injustice is the ultimate expression of God's love for each of us. Here's Jesus who doesn't deserve what's coming, who's taking it. And here's Barabbas, who actually does deserve it, who's getting off free. That's exactly what happens to each of us the moment we trust Christ as our personal Savior. We owed a debt we could never pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's how much he loves you and I. He didn't deserve it. And yet he says, I'm going to take all of their sin on myself, and I'm going to take the penalty for their sin on myself, and I'm going to suffer in their place, and they're going to go off scot-free. In fact, the word released here in verse 25 when it's talking about Barabbas, literally means to be set free fully and completely. It's not like Barabbas was on some kind of probation or anything. When Pilate released Barabbas, it was as if he had never done what he had done. It was wiped out. And Jesus took his place. Reminds me of what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. If the Son sets you free, you will be totally free. Free indeed. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he became our substitute. Do, do we understand? Do we fully appreciate even every day the depth of the love of Jesus and what he did for us when he went as our substitute. Folks, we never as Christians ever have to worry about a sin that we've ever committed or ever will commit being thrown up in our face or that we have to somehow pay for from God's perspective. No, the Bible teaches just the opposite. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul tells the Colossian Christians, it's as if all of our sin that all of us will ever commit, this certificate of indebtedness to God was obliterated, was literally eliminated, and it was nailed to the cross of Jesus. And he took the punishment and penalty for every sin that you and I will ever do so that we never have to pay for one of them. Not one. Are you living in the freedom, the full freedom that Jesus Christ has brought you? Do not allow 
our spiritual enemy, that slanderer, that accuser, to keep throwing up your sin in your face. You've been forgiven through Christ completely. Completely, fully. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who come to God through him. Forever. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Positionally, we are. Positionally, we are. That's why Paul could say, it's as if you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Because where you and I are going to spend eternity has already been solved whenever you and I trusted Christ as our Savior. It's not like it's in doubt. It's not like God's going to get to a place sometime in our life or throughout eternity where, you know what, I'm changing my mind. I, I, I need you to pay for this. No, it's gone forever. It's as if none of our sins ever existed before God. Obliterated means obliterated. Eliminated means eliminated. When God sees us, as Paul says to the Corinthians, he sees us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's our position as Christians. For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. We are robed in Christ's righteousness positionally. So then how should we respond to that? We should then walk in this newness of life and this freedom we have. Yes, we're not going to be perfect, but we should walk now empowered through the Spirit of God and live a whole different way because we've been set free and we've been forgiven through the substitution of Jesus Christ. This is what God offers every human being in salvation. And yet how many human beings turn their back on this great gift? I mean, what better gift could we ever receive than salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ? And, and what better motivation and inspiration could we have as a Christian to live every day for our Lord who has given us so much that we can't even wrap all of our minds around all that we have in him. And yet what we do know should be an inspiration for us to walk in this newness of life. Because again, the story of Jesus is our story. That's why Paul says, we died with him when we trusted him. We were buried with him, but we rose with him, and now we should walk in newness of life with him. Are we walking in this great life and salvation that God has given us? The author of Hebrews says, how shall we live if we neglect so great a salvation? And my goodness, what about our Savior who brought us that salvation? No one was ever so innocent who suffered so much. No one ever experienced the rejections that our dear Lord experienced. No one else would have ever been able to be the substitute for all mankind. But Jesus said yes. Jesus said yes, and he is deserving of our worship today and every day until we see him face to face and fall down before him, adoring him for all of eternity. So I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. And may we just be in such a 
a spirit of worship this morning, a spirit of, of consecration, a spirit of adoration and appreciation for who our Savior is, for what he went through, demonstrating his love for each of us. Would you stand with me? Father God, I pray today that your word that is very much alive would go forth into our hearts and into our minds and into this room and into the homes, Lord, of those that are watching. And God, may we never be the same, God. May we have, Lord, an even greater opinion and esteem for our Lord Jesus today. And may we realize, God, that we will never go through anything in this life alone. And may we realize, God, that no one can identify with us or empathize or sympathize with us like Jesus can because he knows what it's like to suffer unjustly. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He went through all of it, God, for us. So, God, may we pour out our hearts and our lives for you today and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.